When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Underdog Podcast Conference USA edition on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. Uh, Joe Lonergan, Eric Henry here with you to break down an interesting uh, bag of results from CUSA in week four i believe we just did week four and then we're going to talk about week five as well eric it's it's getting to that point in the season where everything's starting to blend together and you know what i wouldn't have it any other way yeah yeah joe it is absolutely getting to that point in the season as as you know and some of our listeners may know dealing with a bit of a hectic time here that may play a factor in some of the conference usa games uh, over here in the sunshine state got hurricane ian heading our way but yeah uh they get a chance to tape this podcast would be a nice relief from the old hurricane prep for sure. Hope everybody's staying safe out there, Eric. Uh, you included, obviously. Um, but sounds like uh, sounds like you got a plan. You got some water. You got uh, you got things under control. I would expect nothing less. Um, and later on in the show, we're actually going to have Middle Tennessee head coach Rick Stockstill join us to talk about the huge win, uh, ironically, over a team called the Hurricanes in Miami, the number 25 University of Miami Hurricanes. Um, huge performance from that team, but we'll get to that in a bit. For now, let's start with UTEP's big win over Boise State from this past Friday night. Incredibly needed win for UTEP here as they get that victory 27 to 10. Uh, Miners were 16 point dogs, but they win their first game in seven tries against Boise State since that series started back in 2000. Uh, 54 rushing attempts for the Miners compared to just 11 passing attempts and just controlled that run game the whole game. Uh, Eric, this was simply put the best game I have personally seen UTEP play against an FBS team. Um, in which, you know, is saying something. It, it's been a while since we've seen this kind of performance from uh, from Dana Dimmel's team. Yeah, you know, I think it's an interesting point you raised there when you say it's the best performance that you've seen against an FBS team. I don't know if I would go that far. However, I would say probably the best performance against the level of competition. While this is not the Boise State of old, it's still a talented program, certainly in terms of you can just even run the old recruiting ranking game that they Boise uh, recruits UTEP, you know, 10 out of 10 times. But Joe, uh, I want to flip it to you on this, get your thoughts. Since we've talked about this for the better part of a few years now, and definitely in the early part of this season. And we spoke about it with Dana Dimmel at Conference USA Media Days. I asked him his confidence in Gavin Hardison, and he said, hey, you know, Gavin's got full autonomy in this offense. You know, he's got the opportunity to make all the checks, the right calls, entering year two in this offense. It hasn't been a great start for them. But they kind of reverted back to a formula that has helped the resurgence in El Paso. That is an efficient passing game, uh, a steady dosage of the run. While, you know, Deion Hankins' numbers might not look that great on the surface, when you combine his numbers, Ronald A. Watt and Ray Flores, uh, something like 46, 47 carries for a buck 79 and, and a score. And then really solid defense. So, Joe, um, again, I, I know I'm asking to project out kind of far here, but what do you think here? You know, a two and three UTEP team, they've had some struggles. Do you think that he seems to just follow this formula for the rest of the year and, and maybe trying to rekindle some of the hopes they had entering this year in terms of competing for a conference title? It's not a terrible idea. You know, I think, like you said, Gavin Hardison had an incredibly efficient day. He was 10 for 11, uh, had 10 completions on 11 attempts. And, you know, in the first few games that we've seen from UTEP this year, it seems like they have gone to, you know, the passing attack early and often. And it's just not the same as uh, it might have been last year. Um, But, you know, it's interesting because clearly – when you go back and look at Dana Dimmel's body of work, he's definitely used to that kind of ground and pound game, you know, utilizing, you know, uh, fullbacks and, and well-designed running plays and that sort of thing. So if it starts clicking, then, you know, great. Like, 
it doesn't take a football genius to know the fewer chances you give an opposing offense to to make a play, you put the pressure on that side of the ball, then that's going to help you in the long run. And it certainly helped them this time against a Boise State team that um, really struggled to get anything going. As we know, Hank Bachmeyer hasn't had uh, the easiest time at, at Boise State. He was able to go. I know we talked about him potentially not going last week. Um, and Boise State actually fired their offensive coordinator after this game. So, you know, to your point about Boise State not being where it uh, typically has been the past 20 years or so, there's, there's clearly evidence of that all around the Bronco program right now. But um, with UTEP, I think they can, you know, continue this formula for a little bit. You know, we'll see how well um, it holds up against some of the better defensive lines in CUSA. I know we've harped on that um, for a number of months now about how good defensive lines in front seven and in CUSA are relative to where UTEP is anyway. So um, it's not a bad idea to kind of keep this strategy moving forward. Yeah, I mean, that's why I want to run that by you, Joe, because in my mind, this isn't I, I know I, it, you know how I am. Joe. I don't like to just put it all on one player, one thing, because that's just not how football works. But obviously, you know, quarterback is the most important position of football. And, and Gavin's kind of down to the spotlight. And I think, Joe, because we've seen this for a few years now, you know, I've talked about his completion percentage and the need to kind of, you know, that one and a half to one TD to INT ratio that needs to be a little bit better. So it just feels like. If they, for lack of a better word, for lack of a better phrase, they can play to Gavin Hardison's strength and maybe not ask too much, especially the fact that, you know, Justin Garrett graduated is now working for the program and Jacob Cowing is in Arizona being one of the top receivers in the Pac-10. Maybe, you know, dial things back a little bit. That may be the formula for success for UTEP going forward. I completely agree. Still the Pac-12, you know, don't, 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 <laughs> whatever the in the man. grave, just it, don't don't pour the dirt in the grave on the old Pac-12 just yet, but it's <laughs> it's it's going to be the Pac-10 soon enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, you know, one quick thing I wanted to add, you know, I think it's a, a great point about, you know, Gavin Hardison. I think he hasn't had the past. He hasn't had a great past couple of weeks for sure. But ultimately, I think them going to this kind of style is ultimately going to help his game in the end because we know he has a cannon and can throw a deep ball better than a lot of other quarterbacks in in uh in fbs frankly but um if you get teams to really respect the run and get to play that that side of things first that's just going to open up more opportunities downfield sure sure absolutely all right Diet Coke and <laughs> Prozac for breakfast. All right. Uh, Western Kentucky, 73, FIU 0. Eric, I'm interested to get your input on this game. A uh, few quick notes about this one from the Hilltopper side of things. Uh, first shutout for them since 2011. Uh, 73 points were also the second most in a single game in school history and their most during the team's FBS era. Uh, 73 points, also the most Western has scored against an FBS opponent, uh, having previously scored 67 points against Marshall in 2017. That was uh, that that was a, an instant classic. Uh, it's also the third most points scored in Conference USA history. Uh, so Austin Reed, of course, balled out, and we even got to see a little bit of redshirt freshman Darius Ocean from Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, play a lot of the second half and get his first touchdown pass of his college career. And, you know, typically I don't I don't like to see uh, these kind of blowouts, especially when it's Conference USA on Conference USA violence. But, Eric, you were on the ground. You saw what happened. Uh, let me know your thoughts on this performance from the tops and from the FIU Panthers. Joe, really quick. Uh, did you, you happen to see this game in its entirety? I know you were, you know, doing the wedding thing in Montana. Just wondering how much of this you saw, if any. I watched the first half. It's about, it's about all you need to watch. I digress. Um Joe, did it look to you? I, I was told that the announcer said this, uh, Randy Cross, Chick Hernandez on the call, CBS Sports Network. I don't I, I don't know at what point in the game they said this and also don't know if you were listening uh, with audio. But uh, I was told the announcer said this, that it just looked like uh, one team is completely overmatched. Uh, did it look that way to you? And in, in, the, in, in the sense of the word overmatch in that you clearly have one team that is just inferior to another. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but I'm sure those of us who are watching us football know what I mean by that. Did it look that way to you? 
I mean, in terms of the matchup here, yes. I mean, we know Tyson Helton is an aggressive offensive play caller. And defensively, FIU just was not ready for it. And <laughs> given how we've seen that side of the ball progress for them the last couple of years, they clearly were not ready for that that kind of attack. Um, so, you know, I yeah, I, I would say FIU is pretty overmatched in this game, at least from what I saw in the first half. No, listen, I, again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just the reason I led with that, Joe, is because, you know, I had uh, a handful, small minority of FIU fans were frustrated with the questions that I asked. Of course, FIU posts their postgame pressers on YouTube on the, the school's the athletics YouTube page, and they were annoyed with the questions I asked Mike McIntyre postgame. Joe, what am I supposed to ask when it's 73 to zero? That, that, that's not the difference between uh, starting the right quarterback or calling the play here on third down. Uh, the fact of the matter is they did look overmatched, Joe, and I, I can sit here and I, I won't go too long because let's a give credit to the Hilltoppers. Outstanding performance. Austin Reed, that offense, I mean, 30 to 35, five touchdowns. They able to get things going in the right direction. That's a great boost for them heading in, you know, or furthering their conference play, picking up their first conference win and defensively, you know, great job as well. I, I, I do not want to take anything away from the Hilltoppers. But with that being said, Joe. Um, I wrote an article on this midweek last week when you've lost 40 to 45, 46 ish players from your roster with the past few years that you've signed and you're having to rebuild the way Mike McIntyre is. I think, and I think I said this to you privately that my fear coming into this game was Saturday would be the first real sign of how deep of a rebuild this is for FIU and it would be the first sign of this seeing that publicly. And I, and I think that really was what we saw. It, it, I can sit here and talk about Grayson James going 13 to 23. Uh, Hayden Carlson got his first real extended playing time. I can talk about that. But the fact of the matter is one team just clearly overwhelmed and outmatched the other team. And that's not outmatched in X's and O's. That's not outmatched in game plan. That's outmatched in terms of one team was complete, completely superior to the other uh, in specificity on the offensive line. FIU, it, it, you know, they're struggling to put together a six and seven offensive linemen due to, you know, injuries and things of that nature. So I, I again, I don't want to take anything away from the Hilltoppers, but I can't. Uh, there's nothing in terms of an X's and O's analysis of this game, Joe, that I, that I, that th there is to to provide. You know, Mike McIntyre said that this is a rebuild, and you, you kind of know what it is going into it, and, and he's going to be angry about this game because no one as a competitor likes to lose that way for a few for uh, for a day or so, and try to flip the page and and keep this team and keep the building process going against New Mexico State. So that's that's all I really I can add. Yeah, if if you're an FIU fan, the only thing I would add is you have to understand that this is a year zero type of rebuild, right? Yeah. I think the expression right. when you're building a house is like, you can still figure it out if the bones are good, right? There were no bones <laughs> with the, with this kind of rebuild. You just got to go in and gut it and figure it out from the ground up, from the foundation up. And that's what Mike McIntyre's uh, got in front of him here. It's not going to be a quick fix. There are no quick fixes for, um, the things that FIU football has dealt with the last few years, as you of all people know, Eric. So um, it, I <laughs> 73 to zero is, is certainly something, but I wouldn't really freak out either way at this point. All right. Memphis beat North Texas 44 to 34 in the Liberty bowl. Uh, tough day for Austin. Ani. he throws two picks, both of which were returned for touchdowns. Mean Green also lost a fumble in this one. They did outgain the opponent 473 to 334 in terms of total yardage, but uh, lost the time of possession battle, and that's always tough when you go against somebody who is uh, pretty darn efficient the way that Seth Hennigan is in that offense. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was expecting this result, I'll say that. Um, and frankly, North Texas held there um, for a decent chunk of this game. But when it's a 10-point loss and you give up uh, 14 points in uh, defensive touchdowns, I mean, that's kind of your answer right there. You hit the nail on the head, Joe. That is your answer. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can understand if you're a Mean Green fan being disappointed. Um, I saw a stat. I believe Austin Ani's in top five or top ten 
in um, passing yards. And, and I don't think that's necessarily the formula for North Texas to win games. But with that being said, I also understand. I mean, Joe, you, you, you kind of look at this game, right? So Memphis jumps out to a 2010 lead. And this is before the pick sixes. Uh, let me just, you know, flip it back to you for a second, because I can understand if, because I think I've seen this with, with quite frankly, I've seen this with FIU, but a, a myriad of teams that I've covered when they're down, you know, two scores. You almost feel like you got to go to the pass a little bit to get that quick score because, and I've heard coaches say this. I'm sure you've heard, heard coaches say this post game, Joe. Early on, we felt like we couldn't stop them. So we need to kind of, you know, get things going. Um, down 2010, because the first pick six happens 13-35 uh, in the third quarter. So down 2010, do you feel that, and I don't want to say abandoned, but do you feel they need to put more of an emphasis on the passing game at that point? Or do you feel like if you're a rushing team that you can still kind of, you know, play your game? Considering the fact that, again, I, I think all you, you've managed well, you did have the 20-yard TD pass from Asanani, but outside of that, you just managed a field goal. I'm just curious your thoughts on that really quick. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the game is the game has evolved to the point where there are good quarterbacks everywhere. And most teams, especially in the AAC, are going to have a very good a uh, passing game that allows them to put up points in a hurry. Memphis is definitely one of those teams. Seth Hennigan is definitely one of those guys as he's proven over the last couple of years. So with North Texas, um, it's not something where I think this really needs to affect your strategy. You still want to, you don't want it to affect your strategy too much. Uh, you still want to control the run game. You want to play good defense. You want to limit big plays the way that we've seen them do in the games that they've won this year. And, I don't know for we've talked a lot about Austin Ani in the sense that he's kind of a game manager guy, but when he gets them all out quickly, he makes things happen. Um, and I don't know. He tried to force a few, uh, tried to force a few things um, in this game to get his team back in it, which isn't necessarily a, a bad thing, but had pretty catastrophic results, unfortunately for him. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't disagree with anything you said there. That's just for me. That's the point I think you have to raise. In that, I'm not critiquing Seth Luttrell at all. You, you gotta if that's what you think you got to do. And they have talented playmakers on the outside. Jair Shorter is one of them. Uh, that's what you got to do. But with that being said, a team that is just such a a running football team. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe in my mind, this is listen. You can put Monday morning quarterback at all you want but down two scores with such a potent rushing attack. Can you run a little bit more and then go to the pass? We'll see. Nevertheless, uh, as you said, two pick sixes made the difference in this game. Absolutely. Um, all right. And then we have UTSA beating Texas Southern 52 to 24 multiple school records broken for UTSA in this game. Um, if you go back and look at Frank Harris's performance, 392 yards through the air. That's a single game passing record uh, and four touchdowns without a turnover. Not too shabby in that regard. Uh, also, you had JT Clark, uh, also known as DeCorey Clark, broke the single game receiving record uh, for uh, with 217 yards and three touchdowns. So uh, fantastic performance from the Roadrunners. But the thing that is notable with this one, though, in my opinion, they really didn't kick this into gear until the second half, which is a little frustrating. If you're playing a team that has struggled quite a bit this year, the way that Texas Southern has, um, you want to see this team play a complete game. Cause ultimately when you, when UTSA goes up against teams like UAB and uh, some of the other tougher uh, CUSA teams on their schedule, the rest of the year, that's not going to cut it. And, you know, as we'll talk about later, they have a, a red hot middle Tennessee team on their schedule next week. And that's going to be, you know, a, a team that they need to play a complete game against too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, Joe, because uh, you can look at this score and say, Hey, they did what they were supposed to do, but uh, I don't think you can actually say that there's no reason for Texas Southern and uh, shout out, shout out to the, the fighting Michael Strahan's. There's no reason for the Texas Southern Tigers to be in a four point game at the half with UTSA. They just don't have that type of talent, no matter, you know, how many Andrew Bodie TD runs you get there. They, they, they don't have that type of talent. With that being said, yeah, the positive is that there was a pull away in the second half. But I guess, Joe, it's not like they didn't lose some solid playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, you know, in terms of the offseason. They still have 
you know, guys like Rashad Wisdom back. And you would think that alone itself, Rashad Wisdom being one of the best defensive players in Conference USA would be enough to kind of uh, keep that offense, opposing offense at bay. But nevertheless, um, something to keep an eye on, as you mentioned, as they get a little further in conference play. I mean, they are one and one in conference play already, um, but definitely going to be something to keep an eye on as it as it uh, as it kind of evolves here. I mean, listen, the, the, uh, I will say this. If they can get that type of play from you know DeCorey and Clark, in addition with with Zachary Franklin and Josh Cephas, that'll be uh, then they'll just outscore everybody and all will be fine. But I don't know if that's going to be sustainable going forward. Yeah, you know, it's tough to be a second half team. And that's kind of what they've been the first few weeks of this season. Um, or at least like a one half team. I think at at Texas, they played a really good first half, but didn't really play a solid second half. But I think it's kind of been the other case. Um, it's been the other way around with their other games these first few weeks. So. You know, to your point, something to keep an eye on, and hopefully the uh, the injuries on the defensive side of the ball don't uh, don't continue to pile up the way that they have, um, to some extent anyway. And uh, we'll see what they have uh, when they jump deep into their Conference USA schedule here. Then in the city of Houston, we had the Bayou Bucket Classic between the Houston Cougars and the Rice Owls. Houston wins this one 34 to 27. Um, and for me, the fact that Rice got as close as they did here has to mean something. I, coming off of that victory against Louisiana, you were looking for them to sustain that momentum. And I feel like they were able to do that to some extent, even though they didn't get the victory. Um, but, you know, comes at a cost for Houston. Uh, they lose Derek Parrish. She's out for the season with the torn bicep. So that's tough to see, of course. Um, but for Rice, um, doing some good things. I didn't think they were going to um, get this victory over a, a Houston team that's been pretty highly touted uh, to start the season. But uh, I think it's another sign that Mike Bloomgren's got this thing. Uh, you know, he's he's doing what you would have hoped he would do coming off that win against McNeese and then going into that win against Louisiana, you want to continue to build your team's confidence and sustain that momentum. And I think when you turn in this kind of performance against a, a defense like Houston's, that's really good and particularly really good at pressuring a quarterback. And we know TJ McMahon's had uh, some issues with playing under pressure previously. You can't be too mad at, at what they did here. Joe, for me, it's as simple as this. Um, I'm actually, you know, might be a little higher on TJ McMahon than you. The fact that they have now found seemingly some steady quarterback play. I am interested to see how TJ McMahon grows in this offense. The fact that they were 21-17 in the third, 24-24 in the fourth, 27-24 in the fourth, uh, 24-24 in the third, excuse me, entering the fourth quarter. Just couldn't hold. I, I'm I'm encouraged. I mean, it, it's it's going to be something that I think now the, the the thing in my mind, if they were able to get any semblance of that Rice rushing game that we've come to expect, I mean, while it necessarily isn't the most potent, it's at least something that they pound the rock a ton. But uh, you know, Houston's defense, give them credit, they've shut that down throughout the evening. But this is what I'm interested in, Joe. I mean, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Houston's win. So all right, let's say they've established a quarterback. They're going to have two really solid tests, home UAB and then at FAU. Even if the UAB task is too tall, FAU has shown to be susceptible to inconsistent play. Then, La Tech, Charlotte, UTEP, Western Kentucky. I think those four games make this season. You get three out of those four, you're at five wins. You're right there in position to qualify for a bowl with two, two chances left. It's simple as that. So, I, I am as as down as I was on Rice's offense after the SC game. Three straight outings of 275 yards or more from the Rice passing attack. The emergence of Luke McCaffrey as a receiver that Steve Helwick talked about uh, talked about in addition with Brad Rosner, who we know can play. They've got guys like Gabe Taylor and George Nyquil on defense. Treshawn Chamberlain. Let's see. That's that's just the way I'm looking at it. You know, again, I, I'm not trying to just dismiss Houston's win here. And the fact that Rice did, did have opportunities, you know, there's no such thing as a moral victory. But now, okay, for all the talk we've had about Mike Bloomgren and what we, we would have liked to have seen and whatnot, they're in conference play now. Let's see what's happening. For sure. I think Rice is, uh, like you said, they're on the path to bowl game eligibility for the first time in uh, quite a while here. Definitely for the first time in uh, Bloomgren's tenure as the coach there. Um, then we had 
Louisiana Tech losing to South Alabama 38-14. to uh, Look, South Alabama is a good team. Uh, Carter Bradley is, is doing some really impressive things since he came down there from Toledo. Um, but no matter who the opponent is, you can't turn the ball over five times and expect to, to still be in it late. Um, so, uh, and they only, obviously, four, they scored 14 points, so they only scored two touchdowns. One came in the second quarter and one in the fourth quarter. Uh, four interceptions for Parker McNeil. So, um, pretty, pretty rough day for him. Um, and, you know, we saw Matthew Downing kind of have a, a real bad day against Missouri earlier in the season. Hopefully this is, uh, um, for Parker McNeil, it's not one of those moments that just completely uh, takes the confidence away. That's the last thing you want in that kind of sunny cumby offense. But um, it's it's tough to see them have this kind of day. Um, but you know, Tyler Grubb's still playing really well. I think he's well on his way to becoming an all uh, CUSA selection once again. Eight tackles, um, half a sack, had a tackle and a half for loss. Um, so I think if there's a silver lining, it's probably his play at the moment. Um, for a one and three Louisiana Tech team, and the future's still bright, but you cannot turn the ball over five times against any opponent and expect to be in a position to win the game. Yeah, Joe. You know, I'm not necessarily as I don't want to say I'm not as down on the Carter McNeil um, play as you are because I, I think I, it's not Carter Carter Bradley Parker McNeil. Come on, let's try it again. Parker McNeil play as as you are, but I, I think you're being being. You're being realistic, but especially in the sense that he only threw the ball 34 times, right? You had four picks. It's not like you throw the ball 60, 65 times and have four picks. And obviously, you're going to have days like that in this Sunny Cumbie offense that you may have to throw it 50, 60 times. I, I just think when you're down as quickly as they were, I, I want to say at one point they were down, you know, what, entering in the third quarter, what, like 24 or 7 or something to that effect. Uh, you give up a, a special teams punt return that puts you down two scores. You're going to have to throw the football. Things are going to happen as they're evolving. So I guess I'm just more interested to see how this quarterback situation evolves. Well, again, with Parker McNeil, Matthew Downing, see if he gets another run at things. Um, but all in all, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, it, I guess the most interesting takeaway from this game is, is South Alabama 24 points better than Louisiana Tech right now? Um. Uh, you know, I've kind of been iffy on that USA program over the past few years, and I guess the answer is yes. But I don't necessarily know if it's a talent thing as much as it's just a first-year head coach and players are still trying to figure it out thing. So that's really my biggest takeaway from from this game. I mean, the fact that he still got 51 rushing yards from Greg Garner, uh, that it, to me is is a positive because I do think the run game is going to be uh, something that you have to kind of focus on uh, as they're getting things going, that with Greg Garner and Marquise Crosby. But yeah, all in all, I mean, I'm, I'm not too discouraged. I, I just think it's a, almost a byproduct of listen. When you're down two scores quick, you have to start throwing the ball around and, and you're still getting things. Listen, uh, folks may not realize the air raid in whatever version you want to consider. Because I mean, there are so many hybrids and offshoots of it in college ball nowadays. It is not just, you know, back in the day where it's all right, pre-snap read, throw the ball here in completion. You know, it's asking a little bit more of the quarterback nowadays, and that's not just an easy transition for a guy to walk in and all of a sudden, you know, be able to execute that on day one. Yeah, it's no civil task to be a quarterback in an air raid offense for sure. And I mean, to your point about South Alabama, like in my opinion, this is a this is a pretty good team this year, at least relative to their level of competition, right? I mean, in the Sun Belt West, they they have a legit chance to win the Sun Belt West this year. You know, Louisiana's mortal. Um and they've already, you know, won some tough games and they hung tough with a P5 opponent, only lost by one a couple of weeks ago. So um, that'll be interesting. But with Louisiana Tech, um, you know, it, it's just tough to see them struggle with the offense this much um, in a team that is ultimately going to rely on its offense to do a lot. Um, but I think they can continue to move forward based on what we've seen so far. Um but, you know, we, we did see a little bit of Matthew Downing in this game as well. Had four carries for negative uh, 17 yards um, and also lost a fumble. So just just a tough day all around. Um, and a, a, in my opinion, kind of a testament to um, how much that South Alabama defense has grown under Kane Womack in the last you know little bit of time that he's been with the program here. All right. South Carolina, 56, Charlotte, 20. Uh, only so much you can really gain from this kind of loss. Um, we certainly expected it. Um, Shane Beamer's team, pretty good this year, um, at least in some aspects. Uh, good enough to outmatch Charlotte 
Um, I mean, if you're Charlotte, like it, it's a tough spot to be, right? You're one and four um, to start the year. Certainly thought you were going to be in a little bit better position than that um, heading into 2022. But um, I don't know. For if you know, <laughs> we've talked about these results against. Um, good p5 teams before and how little you can really gain from them since they're not really representative of like um the competition you're going to play the rest of the year but um i guess a couple silver linings for charlotte in this game uh chris reynolds did throw two touchdowns uh one was to elijah spencer one was to vic tucker good to see him get back on the scoreboard uh grant debose four catches for 60 yards so um tough day for charlotte overall uh, three interceptions through the air, two by Reynolds, one by Xavier Williams. So um, hopefully they can kind of fix some of those issues there. But as I said a few times in that <laughs> in that soliloquy, um, it's tough to gain anything valuable in terms of insights when you play a team like this. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, I honestly think South Carolina is as dominant of a SEC team as <laughs> as things are. You know, I said this last week, Joe, that... Do not disrespect Cock Commander. I will not disrespect Cock Commander. Cock Commander, Cock Commander, Cock Commander. Joe, here's the thing, right? You talked about this with Charlotte entering the year. We can do, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but I think as a whole, we can kind of do the revisionist history thing and say, okay... Entering this year before the UA, before the FAU loss, when you looked at this schedule and you talked about the playmakers that Charlotte had on offense, would you have thought that this would have been a game that would be a little bit more competitive? I feel like most would have said yes. Now, we've seen that the defensive struggles are still what they are. And that was uh, at full on full display. Marshawn Lloyd having the type of day he did against Charlotte. You know, seemingly all teams are having the type of day that 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 uh, that South Carolina had against Charlotte. You know, 15 carries for Bucks, 69, three scores, no real pushback at all from the defense. Joe, they play they being Charlotte plays UTEP this upcoming weekend. After that, it is their bye week. That is kind of the point in which I'm looking at to see where things can go with the rest of this year. A, they're going to get a chance to, for whatever measure of 100% that Chris Reynolds is or is not, uh, they're going to be able to get him some rest. And then they're going to have a week, uh, a bye week also to try to address some things on defense. But I, I just can't, it, it, it's going to be really, really challenging to see them go through another year of struggles defensively if it continues the way they did. I mean, we've kind of seen how it was for North Texas over the past few years. So that's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on going forward. Yeah. You know, Charlotte has got some tough, uh, some tough opponents, at least relative to where they are as a program. I think they got UAB uh, in two weeks, UTEP um, on October 1st. Well, okay. I got my dates mixed up a little bit. Uh, Yeah. No. Okay. UTEP this week. It's not October already. I got to put the Halloween decorations up. Um, Sorry, but (laughs) UAB in a couple of weeks. Um, And then I think they have a chance to to pick up a couple of wins against FIU and Rice potentially. Um, But that would certainly be, I think, the bare minimum you would expect uh, from this Will Healy team, at least before you need to start, you know, taking a serious look at where that program is and where that coaching staff is. But um, yeah, that's that's where you're at. If you're Charlotte, we've talked about it a lot. They need to be better. And then one more P5 against the USA result to get through here. Purdue 28, Florida Atlantic 26. We've talked about it a little bit, but it feels like this was a situation where FAU was playing with house money a little bit, so they just went for it and uh, came up just a little bit short. Two-point loss, always tough, especially um, when you're in a – when you're playing against, rather, a, a Jeff Brom offense that, um, you know – gets a little bit gets gets aggressive on the play calling obviously you know you see that influence in the way that Tyson Helton coaches a little bit for sure um but Nikosi Perry 18 of 30 230 yards three touchdowns one interception um you know in a close game turnovers are are obviously something that's going to stick out to you but um overall I, I think he played pretty well also had 13 carries for 93 yards I think did pretty much everything he could to really keep his team in the game. Um, And, you know, especially when you're the leading rusher and you're the quarterback um, and you also throw for over 200 yards, but you know, it's, it's tough. And then finally um, you look at the, the end of the game and uh, (laughs) you turn the ball over on downs when you have a shot to win the game. That's tough to see. 
Well, yeah, Joe, real quick. I mean, it, 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 you know, just to uh, say something, because I think that's a, a play that FAU fans are, are, are kind of agonizing over a little bit. It wasn't necessarily a turnover on downs. They went for the quarterback sneak, um, trying to pick up a fourth and one. I watched this one live. I went for a quarterback sneak on fourth and one. Nikosi Perry, and she got stuffed cold, Joe. I mean, it, it, it looked like nothing was there. And he's pushing for that second effort. And I don't necessarily have an issue with the decision here. He tried to stick the ball. Uh, you know, in a in a way that you would stick the ball over the, the, the goal line, except, of course, you know, they're pushing for a first down in the middle of the field and ends up getting knocked out and then fumble recovery by Purdue. That ends the game, right? They pretty much, you know, ice the game away. Uh, Joe, something else that a lot of FAU fans are upset with, there was a cut block um, that took away a score from FAU. Uh, it obviously did, did that the Big Ten officials, excuse me, let's get this right again. The Big Ten officials admitted that they blew the call on the cut block. It took away that score, cost FAU a touchdown. They are agonizing over that one. I think there are a lot of positives to take away from this game if you're FAU, considering the fact that, A, as I mentioned, LeJounte Wester, nine carries for 90 yards, three nine receptions for 90 yards, three touchdowns. He's leading all of FBS receivers and receiving touchdowns. Nikosi Perry appears to be more settled in still 18 of 30. Might want to look to see that completion percentage a little bit higher. But as I mentioned, they were right there, had their opportunities. Uh, the, that call with the cut block certainly took away a score from him. And then, you know, just by a few inches, uh, I, I think to be honest with you, Joe, if the refs may have called that play uh, dead uh, a little bit sooner, you know, if they chosen to, to, to call it dead, Maybe they give Nikosi Perry the first down, but the, the ball gets stripped and Purdue, you know, gets the win. And even Jeff Brown post game uh, was pretty blunt and felt that his team didn't play up to par. So I'm going to give FAU a lot of credit here. You just, it, again, uh, we've talked about it a lot. It, it's the consistency and the penalties. Those are things that Willie Taggart's club will have to clean up as they, you know, get into the meat of their conference play. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, again, um, I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for is just can they put together uh, kind of the consistent play that they need to, that they haven't been able to under Willie Tiger. It's going to help get some guys back like Evan Anderson. That will certainly help, but all in all, you know, not a performance that I can be mad at from FAU. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I did miss the fourth quarter of this one. As, as folks know, I was up in the mountains or, or may or may not know I was up in the mountains for a wedding. So I didn't get to do my usual uh, film analysis for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these contests, but I did watch, a good chunk of this one. Um, Eric, if there's one thing that you think might be missing from FAU right now in terms of getting them to play to their full potential, what do you think it is? You know, it's, it's tough because I, for as good as I think this FAU team is, I still got to take into account all of the coaching changes that happened in the off season. They're still getting used to Todd Orlando on defense and Brent Dearman on offense. And I think that in itself naturally is going to cause a level of inconsistency. Um, still not quite a veteran team. So I don't know. I, I think I would put to you this way, Joe. I think if this weren't the season of emphasis, of importance for FAU and for Willie Taggart and their fans, there might not be as much of a glaring spotlight on the fact that we're not able to put some consistent football together. But because it is, um, I'm going to chalk it up to those things. And maybe maybe I'd say a little bit more consistency in the run game from the running backs. I don't think Nikosi running 13 times for 93 yards is going to be the formula for success, especially when you have McCammon, Zuberry Mobley, and Johnny Ford. Um, but still, you know, I, I'm interested to see how this team finishes the year because they've struggled to finish seasons over the past two years and especially growing in, in these new schemes. I think that's fair. I think the Owls uh, have uh... – have a little bit of uh, a growing to do, as you said, but they're doing some good things. And and I continue to be impressed with um, how Nikosi Perry is, you know, kind of dealt with the the pressure that comes naturally with the quarterback position and uh, just being the leader of a team in general, especially one that has those kind of changes and has those um, those high expectations for sure. All right, for week five, we're once again kicking off the CUSA slate with a Friday night lights matchup, uh, this time in Murfreesboro between Middle Tennessee and UTSA. Uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. UTSA minus four heading into this game. And Eric, if uh, if we were talking about this game back in June, July, and you had told me that UTSA was only favored by four heading into this game, it would have been uh, just incredibly surprised. Um, but that's it's been kind of a weird year so far. Uh, but Middle Tennessee playing real well. So I'm excited to see how they follow up uh, last week's performance. But ultimately, I have a hard time believing that 
Jeff Trailer, Frank Harrison company are going to let the opportunity to uh, to win this game go by. They need to you know start picking up some conference wins um, as they begin their slate there. But um, yeah, so UTSA is my pick. But ultimately, I think that UTSA defensive line is going to present an interesting challenge for UTSA. Um, and, you know, hopefully that defensive backcourt can continue to step up and, and you know, <laughs> limit some of uh, Middle Tennessee's playmakers that uh, Coach Stock mentioned when we spoke to him earlier in the episode. Listen, those are all great points you made. I think the thing that I'm kind of interested in is the bulletin board material that I asked Coach Stock still about the comment from Jeff Trailer about the fact that, hey, you know, they, they as he mentioned earlier this week in his in his. Uh, media availability. They they knocked out Bailey Hockman. Chase Cunningham went in and Jeff Trello said, yeah, you know, we, we started his career. So maybe they owe us a little bit. Um, definitely going to see how that plays in terms of firing up this Middle Tennessee football team. I am still a little bit hesitant to pick Middle Tennessee because I think overall UTSA is the better football team. But if Middle Tennessee can run the football and if they can get those downfield plays that UTSA has been a little bit susceptible to giving up, could be an interesting ballgame. I'm glad you asked Coach Stock about that. I think that was something that we were all kind of thinking about heading into the heading into that interview. Um, then on Saturday we have North Texas hosting Florida Atlantic at 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. Uh, FAU minus three heading into that game. Um, you know, for if you're FAU, I think the fact that you've played on the road so much to start the year has got to wear on you a little bit. But ultimately, I do think they're a better team than North Texas. I think they just got to come out and execute. And I think you just got to limit the mistakes in important situations. Obviously, the the fumble late in the game against Purdue, uh, regardless of officiating and whatnot, that that played a part. Um, and then for North Texas, I think you got to get back to to what you know how to do well, establish the run game, and then uh, if you're Austin, get the ball out of the pocket quickly. Um, and obviously don't throw interceptions, but I think FAU is the better team. I think they win. I think they do it by more than three points. Yeah, I will. I, I, I'm, I'm a little torn because I think this could be a close game, especially on the road and the fact that they still potentially could be missing Evan Anderson, but I am picking FAU. I think right now they're playing a little bit better football and they just have the more dynamic playmakers. So give me the owls. And we got Charlotte hosting UTEP on ESPN three at 6 p.m. Eastern UTEP minus three heading into this game. And it's it's the fact that I think it's in Charlotte helps the 49ers case immensely. Uh, UTEP has had issues on the road in the past, but that being said, um, if UTEP does what they did last week, then I see no reason why they shouldn't win this game Uh, over unders 51 and a half points. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit lower than that, frankly. I think UTEP, you know, as long as they keep um, Chris Reynolds off the field, then I think they can um, establish dominance pretty early in this game. We know Charlotte's run defense isn't uh, isn't great. Um, so I think if they just kind of continue to focus on that aspect of their game, which they've clearly shown some great improvement on the last couple of weeks, then I think they'll be all right. Yeah. Again, as I talked about when talking about the Charlotte section, I think this is going to be an interesting game because UTEP is showing the fact that they have been able to be consistent this year. But with that being said, the Charlotte defense still a work in progress is an understatement. They've got to get something going, and I don't see them being able to stop what could be a three-headed monster of a UTEP rushing attack, so I'll take the Miners. We have Western Kentucky hosting Troy, 7 p.m. Eastern, ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Western Kentucky minus six heading into this one. Troy has been interesting the last couple of weeks. Um, they did lose to App State um, back on that you know game day appointment, but this past weekend, they beat Marshall 16 to seven. And then of course their other victory came from uh, when they outplayed obviously Alabama A&M who we saw UAB beat down um, to open their season. But um, Gunnar Watson, I like what I've seen from him. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting test. And it's also interesting that this is the, uh, the Jarrett Dagey bowl, (laughs) you know, Uh, Jarrett Dagey lost uh, the Western Kentucky quarterback competition to Austin Reed transferred to Troy just prior to the season. And uh, ultimately hasn't played, I don't think, for Troy yet. At least Gunnar Watson's got the uh, majority of the snaps there. But um, I think Western Kentucky, they're playing really well at home. I think if they continue to play aggressive, I think they're going to be fine. Um, But Troy is not a team you can fall asleep against, and they definitely got to limit mistakes. And, um, you know, we've seen them at times, uh, I think, just kind of fail to execute 
especially late in games. If you go back to the Indiana game, I don't think this is an opponent. Uh, I don't think this is an opponent where you can afford to do that and uh, still expect to be in a position to win the game. That being said, I think if they do, um, if they keep up the kind of style of play calling that they had against FIU and against Hawaii, um, and and in, in the first half against Indiana, I think they'll be all right. Joe, you talked about the Jarrett Daigie Bowl. And of course, as you said, he has not uh, seen any time this year, which, you know, of course, that would have made this game certainly a little bit more intriguing coming into. And I do think Western Kentucky will win. But a reason why I think they shouldn't sleep on Troy, and I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball, Joe, a man after our heart, Carlton Marshall, comes the Sunbelt's all time leading tackler at 5'8, 205 pounds. As a linebacker, just 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 for folks at home, he's not a safety; he's a linebacker, a, a Mike linebacker at that. So that is a guy that Western Kentucky will need to keep an eye on. Quantavius, Leslie, Rusty stats up there in the middle of that offensive line, got to be accountable for. But like I said, I, I think Western is flying high on all cylinders after the FIU game. Uh, think that should continue in a, in a win. Rise up, short kings! Indeed. <laughs> Do kids still say that? I have no idea. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, short kings, do not go outside. There's a hawk circling my house. <laughs> well, the thing is, you're also taller than me. So I don't know how I feel about that, but I digress. Who, me? No, I mean, I'm not saying I'm short. I just think it's, a, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> oh, I'm not saying I'm one of the short folks. It's you short folks. Yeah, gotcha. I'm, I'm well aware that I'm bigger than people should be. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. And you're not short either. You're like half an inch shorter than me, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if you say so. <laughs> for the folks listening at home, I'm five nine. Just for the record, there's no way. There's no way you're five nine. What are you? What are you talking about, Joe? I'm. I don't know. I felt like when we were together, I felt like you were taller than that. No, I, I mean I'm five. I'm five ten in like shoes, but I'm actually five nine. I mean, I know like when we tried to take that picture in Global Life Field, I felt like I was picking you up a little bit on inadvertently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, thank you. I will take you on all my dates from now the rest of the to the end of time. Sam, if I could steal Mr. Launder again, uh, if you just, <laughs> yeah, I'll be 5'10 if you want, but I, I am 5'9. I'll gladly be your hype man. For thank sure. you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> all right. And closing out, we got Sam, next. Super quick. How tall is Sam? Yeah. 5'3", uh, I think. Okay. All right. That gives me a reference point. Was I go back and look at the pictures just to verify how tall you are? Continue. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm about a foot taller than her. Um, but uh, New Mexico State hosting FIU to close out the slate, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. I believe that one's on stadium. Um, New Mexico State, 1-4. and four, FIU, 1-2. and two. That being said, New Mexico State still favored by 14 and a half heading into this game. And, you know, I feel like if FIU is going to beat an FBS opponent this year, it might just be New Mexico State. They've been pretty bad. Um, They're not really good in in any category. Um, You know, stats of war, S-A-T-A-T-S-O-W-A-R is a great Twitter follow gets uh, gets real into the nitty gritty of, of college football analytics. If you want to dive into that, um, but they're giving, I guess he Parker is the guy's name. Um, they're giving New Mexico state an 88.83% chance uh, to win the game. Um, I think that's surprisingly high given what I've seen from New Mexico state. I think they're really not good, but I think they're obviously looking at what FIU did against uh, Western Kentucky last week and, and, putting a lot of that math into the equation. Um, I know FIU is not – I don't think FIU is a team that's going to get beat that bad consistently. I think Tyson Helton is just one of those teams that uh, – is just one of those guys, really, that um, likes to rub it in, which regardless of, of how you feel about that. Um, so I think this game's going to be close. I, if New Mexico State pulls this out, it wouldn't surprise me. But also if FIU wins, it wouldn't surprise me that much. Yeah, Joe, you're definitely higher on the Panthers than I am. I mean, there's, there's a reason that they are uh, two score underdogs. And really quick, Joe, this game's on Flow Sports, as as we uh, recounted a couple weeks ago. New Mexico State ah. being, being an independent, they are not uh, in a TV deal. So this Thank game is on. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, no, no worries, no worries. So I, I just noted that for FIU fans, I know they're going to be trying to watch this game. It's going to be pretty difficult without paying the uh, 1999 that you have to spend on flow sports. Um, but yeah, Joe, no, I mean, listen, yeah, Tyson Helton actually, to be honest, 
took it easy in the second half on, on FIU. He, he could have put up 90 if he wanted to. Um, I, I'm expecting to see a better performance by FIU because just in relative, you know, relative to the talent they'll face New Mexico state, it's a little bit closer, but still Jerry kill it, it, it for all the things that New Mexico state is in a rebuild. It's not quite this level of, as you termed, week zero rebuild that FIU is. So uh, I think all of us who are around the program are kind of expecting a, a better performance. Quick thing here that I know we talked about early in the season. This game is actually on Flow Sports with New Mexico State being an independent. They do not have a TV contract. Just for the FIU audience who may want to try and uh, watch this game, going to be a little bit difficult. Got to pay $19.99 to do so, unfortunately. But nevertheless, you talked about the fact that New Mexico State, you think this game might be a little bit closer than the spread indicates. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Jerry Kill's rebuild is not quite as intensive as the rebuild that Mike McIntyre and company are undergoing, especially Joe, you got to remember, yes, FIU did have a bye week, but this is their third straight road game. And this is going to be one of the longest trips of the year. I mean, as a matter of fact, they go to El Paso, the final road game of the year, but uh, three straight road games. I mean, I'm exhausted. It's just as someone who covers this team. I can't imagine the players who have to get up and go to class and go to practice. So, you know, hopefully they can get uh, some guys a little bit healthier, maybe Sean Peterson, Davon Strickland back. But with that being said, uh, I, I think it, this could be another tough task, not quite as tough as Western Kentucky. Uh, those of us around the program are probably expecting a bit of a closer ball game. But in the end, I do think New Mexico State gets the win here. It'll be interesting to see if uh, FIU can bounce back from what they've done the last couple of weeks. And I have watched a, quite a bit of New Mexico State, and I am almost impressed at how bad they are. So we'll see. They beat Hawaii. But I think they, ha- I think Hawaii is one of the few teams who has a little more, uh, has a few more problems than they do, unfortunately for for that program and Timmy Chang. But that's that's where New Mexico State is right now. For those of you curious, <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've feel like I've been player hater for New Mexico State this year a little bit, but I don't know. Um, FIU could get it, but we'll see. Probably not. I don't know. Stats are worse. Doesn't seem to think so. Or neither does F- ESPN. I don't want to put it all on just one guy. I don't. I think a lot of people are uh, pretty down on FIU after what they put up uh, the last couple of weeks. But for this next portion, we're going to talk about Middle Tennessee's huge win over the Miami Hurricanes, forty-five to thirty-one. Uh, we got the head coach of the Blue Raiders himself, Mister Rick Stockstill, Coach Rick Stockstill, I guess I should say. Uh, coach, thank you so much for making the time this morning. Excited to dive into this win with you for a couple minutes here. Good deal, man. I appreciate y'all having me on. Hope you guys are doing well. Yes, sir. Doing well over here. And uh, I imagine uh, most of Blue Raider Nation is doing pretty well after uh, that $1.5 million check cleared. And that's the amount, of course, uh, Miami paid you guys to come down to Hard Rock Stadium this past Saturday and uh, upset the number 25 team in the nation for the uh, first win ever for the Blue Raiders against the ranked team. So, you know, just curious to start things off. What was that locker room like after that electric victory? Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty special. And you know, I tell our players all the time that you know you're not going to miss practice, you're not going to miss weights, you're not going to miss the game. What you're going to miss the most is the locker room, the celebrations after wins, and just the camaraderie that you have in that locker room. And after a win like that, you know it's special and uh, created a bunch of lifelong. Uh, lifetime memories for those guys. So it was a lot of fun celebrating it. I can imagine it was. I would have loved to be there myself. Uh, so, you know, we want to start with the way that this defense has played um, the past couple of weeks. You know, even going back to that victory against Colorado State you guys had a few weeks ago. Um, obviously, like Jordan Ferguson was the big name that everybody, I think a lot of opposing uh, OCs were probably focusing in on. But in the last couple of weeks, you've had big performances from uh, Quindarius Dunnigan and Zalen Wood. Um, do you feel like them keying in and maybe a little bit too much on uh, on Jordan has uh, cleared the way for some of those guys to have big days in the defense? No, not really. Um, you know, Jordan's an excellent player, but we thought coming into this year that our defensive line was the strength of our defense. You know, we lost all three starting linebackers from last year. We lost three of the four starting guys in the secondary from last year. So, and we returned everybody up front in the defensive line. So we felt that was going to be the strength. They're good players. They're tough, physical, hard-nosed players. And, um, you know, each one of them have kind of had their uh, their day in the shine. And, uh, 
you know, Ferg's been very consistent, uh, has gotten sacks. You know, Zaylen Wood got hurt uh, in that first game and really didn't play against uh, Colorado State the second game uh, because of his injury, played a little bit, but not much. And then, you know, the Tennessee State game was a, you know, a blowout. So, uh, you know, they all got about 25, 30 snaps that game. And, uh, you know, so his time was Saturday, you know, against Miami. Quindarius did a great job at uh, Colorado State filling in for him. Uh, Marley Cook has been really, really consistent as well as Jordan Branch. So all those guys up front have done a nice job. For sure. And, you know, Coach, you've said repeatedly the past couple of days um, that you want to show that this win wasn't a fluke for your program. So how do you kind of reel your team in when I imagine they're on cloud nine after a game like that and try to make this a consistent thing? Well, I mean, it's just, you know, they deserve all the pats on the back they can get. But you've got to be, you know, mentally tough to uh, ignore all that noise because that's what it is. And like I told them, you know, after the first game when Nobody liked this. Ignore that noise. Don't listen to it. You know, I believe in you. We're a good team. Um, you know, the football season's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And now that they're saying good things about you, ignore that noise and just focus on, you know, what's ahead of us. And it's even more critical this week because we're on a short week and we start conference play. So, uh we're playing a really talented team, you know, this week. So we don't have time to, you know, lay around and in the sunshine and bask in it. You know, we got to go back to work, and we did that on Sunday. Coach, you grew up in Florida, of course, and played at Florida State back in the day. Did the fact that this win came against a team from the state of Florida and against a lot of Florida talent uh, make it a little extra special for you? You know, after the game, I was asked that, and I said no. I was all – I said, I'm all Middle Tennessee – uh, because I didn't want it after the game. I didn't want anything to take away from our players. And, uh, but <clears throat> yes, deep down inside of me, there's still a little bit of garnet and gold. And, uh, I was glad that we were able to, you know, knock off the hurricanes because of that little bit of Florida state blood left in me. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, want to ask you about Chase Cunningham real quick. Uh, threw for over 400 yards in this game, three touchdowns. Obviously, one of the better performances we've seen from him uh, since he joined the program. Um, what did it mean to see him put up those kind of numbers uh, on Saturday? Really, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible when you think about it that you only complete 16 passes and you throw for 400 yards, that's hard to do. And, uh, but, you know, we just, and you guys know, we just got so many big plays, long, explosive plays out of it. But he's very accurate, uh, made good decisions, you know, had one poor throw, his interception. uh, But, you know, for the most part, he played really well. And, you know, our line did a good job of, because, you know, it wasn't like he was completing a lot of screens. And, uh, you know, so our line did a really good job of keeping those guys, keeping him clean in the pocket there and enabling him to – or enabling our receivers to get down the field to throw the balls that we threw. Uh, but, you know, played a really good game. I'm happy for him, proud for him. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was really an incredible performance. That it was. All right. Last question from me. And then I know Eric's got some more for you. Um, and I know he's going to dive into your all's matchup this weekend against UTSA. Um, but for me, just curious, your thoughts, you guys are retiring uh, the great Kevin Byard's Jersey this weekend. Um, obviously he did a, a lot of great things when he was a member of your program, doing a lot of great things for the Tennessee Titans. Now, um, you know, what are your thoughts heading into that, uh, that part of the evening on Friday night? Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, Really, really happy for Kevin, for KB. Uh, what a tremendous honor when your school, you know, thinks that much of you to retire your jersey. And you think about it, they we are retiring his jersey before he's going into the Hall of Fame. I don't know how often that happens. And, uh, you know, because he's not eligible yet to be in the Hall of Fame because, 
the rules here, you got to be out, you know, 10 years, you know, or through playing 10 years. And, uh, you know, so to me, that's a pretty incredible honor when you look at it that way. It's kind of, to me, I've always thought that was you go in the Hall of Fame, you wait a handful of years, and then they retire your jersey after that. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a special night. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, it'll be a pretty cool thing for him, and it's uh, very deserving of it. Uh, he was a great player here. He was a great player or is a great player for the Titans and probably what he's done off the field for the Titans and for us and representing our university and our program uh, probably is equally as important as what he's done on the field. Coach Stockstill, going to jump in here and ask you about something that, you know, we've talked about. I think I've asked this over the past two Conference USA Media Days, and I know last uh, this offseason when we had you on the podcast, I asked you about this. And that's your running game, specifically from the running backs. You know, the, if I can acknowledge it when things aren't going well, probably should, you know, do the same when things are on the flip side. Coach, just want to ask you, outside of the opening day against James Madison, you take a look at the rushing numbers here, 114 yards against Colorado State. Uh, got 223 against Tennessee State and then 99. Still not exactly where you'd like to be, but in an in uptick from previous years. Just what's kind of been the difference so far in the early going as far as getting that production from the running backs? Well, you're right, Eric. We're, we're getting a little bit better. We're getting a little bit more consistent. Um, still not where you'd like to be. Uh, but the last three games, you know, we've really done a good job running the ball in that four-minute end of the game scenarios. Uh, we've really done a nice job with that. Um, you know, we had the ball almost 11, 11 plus minutes in the fourth quarter against Miami. And a lot of it was due to the, the running game. You know, we hit a couple quarterback draws and Frank had some nice runs there. So, uh, we're getting better. Um, still have a ways to go, but, uh, I think probably the biggest thing is we've been a little bit better running the ball on first down. Um, you know, we're, we've been a little bit more consistent in our offensive line run blocking than what we have been the last couple of years. Uh, so I think all those things, all those factors, you know, put together, it just, it's like you said, it's a little bit of an uptick in, um, you know, in our run production. Before we transition to UTSA, I do want to ask you about one player that we didn't get a chance to ask about in the offseason. That's Teldrick Ross. You know, kind of came off of a, of a nice year last year, was amongst the top players in Conference USA and passes defended from a safety spot, played safety and corner for you. Just talk about Teldrick Ross a little bit. Really proud of Teldrick. And probably what you guys don't know is he had, after the bowl game, he had both of his shoulders uh, operated on. He tore his labrum in both shoulders. You know, so they do one shoulder after the after the bowl game, and then they wait, you know, a couple months, you know, and do his other one. And uh, you know, so Teldrick he never got cleared for contact until the week of the first game uh, this year. So I'm really proud of him. I'm proud of how tough he's played. I'm proud of how physical he's played. He's a really really good young man. He's a great leader for us. And uh, just what he's had to go through from a physical standpoint, I'm just so happy for him. I mean, you think about it since December 22nd or whenever his first surgery was, you know, he's been in the training room for eight months, you know, of just rehabbing and, you know, two surgeries uh, to be able to overcome that. I'm, I'm just really, really proud for him. Coach, going to go ahead and spin it forward to this week's matchup versus UTSA, a team you guys played last year. Our our friend Sam Doughton, who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago, tweeted out the uh, the joking quote. Of course, for those of you who, who may have only read it, uh, Coach Trailer, if you listen to it, it's a little bit more sarcastic. Maybe it came across in the print, but the quote about Chase Cunningham and saying jokingly that he may have started his career. But uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for you guys as someone who you, you guys played tough last year. Just talk about what you've seen so far from the uh, Roadrunners and uh, kind of what that game's going to be going forward yeah Jeff needs to go back and, and look at that film because Chase went in right there at the end of the first half and uh, we didn't score until you know middle of the fourth quarter so it's not like 
we came in and let you know lit everything up um so but no it's uh i don't want to sound coach cliche-ish uh but this is by far the best team we've played this year jeff's got a really good club his quarterback is uh by far the best quarterback we will have faced this year he's very dynamic uh they're throwing the ball more this year than what they did last year uh, i know they lost you know um they're really good running back last year so um but they're physical they're really fast on defense really fast on offense they've got whatever it is <clears throat> eight senior starters on offense eight seven senior starters on defense so it's a it's a very mature team they're the defending conference champion uh they've had a tough schedule you know so far this year to open up with and you know they're they're a really talented team Absolutely, Coach. Appreciate you making the time again. And, you know, for those of us down here in Florida, uh, you know, we probably wish you had you down here a couple of, another week to, you know, probably put out this hurricane that we're facing down here, Coach. But really appreciate you making the time for jumping on with us during the game week. And I uh, look forward to catching you down here when you guys face FIU at the end of the year, Coach. Appreciate you making the time. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. And please be safe. I'm praying for everybody in, in the state of Florida. And just uh, y'all be safe and pray that thing misses you. All right, I think that wraps up the show this week for us, and I want to thank Coach Rick Stockstill once again for joining us and and giving us uh, some great some great bits on his team's performance in the last couple of weeks. And um, congrats again to MTSU alum Kevin Byard for getting his jersey uh, jersey retired this week. That's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun to watch and see that ceremony take place. Um, we will be back next week to talk more CUSA football. We'll review week five. We'll preview week six. Uh, we'll see what else comes up and let us know what you think of kind of the, the tweaked format that we're playing with this year, bringing in some guests to talk about the previous week's games. And, you know, if there's anybody that um, you really want us to chat with, Hey, let us know on Twitter, you know, then uh, that'll be fun to hear as well. Um, and of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And at Underdog Dynasty, of course, is the site's account for more G5 football content every single day throughout the season. And uh, we'll be back to talk with you very soon. Happy football watching, everybody. And of course, stay safe for those of our uh, listeners in the path of the hurricane. Go where it's safe. Make sure you got resources. Mm-hmm.